I love being a chef. I'm, I'm a for lifer in this industry, and I I love way what cooking brings to people, the joy it brings to people. Like I've had fr- uh, friends of mine propose in restaurants I've worked in, and just want to be a part of that. Yeah, like it's just it's beautiful to actually get everyone involved. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The Mornington Peninsula has become an incredible food bowl. Not just an array of amazing producers, but a throng of restaurants that have made it become an idyllic place to live and visit too. What is it like being part of the evolution of this incredible region? Nick Delajanis is the head chef of Audrey in the Mornington Peninsula. Nick, how are you? Good, thank you, Huck. How are you? Good. It's great to get you on the show. The Mornington Peninsula has really um, blossomed. It's quite amazing what's going on there. Tell us a little bit about what it's like there at the moment. Yeah, it's come such a long way um, in recent years, uh, especially after lockdown. Um, it's a beautiful place to live and work. Honestly, it feels like you're not even in the country, to be honest, sometimes. It's just <laughs> it just it's just surreal some, some days, the you know, views of the ocean and producers that you're using, like, it just, yes, it's second to none, honestly. Tell us a bit about the restaurants and sort of some of the offerings that are around sort of what what you're doing and what the attractions are for everyone. Yeah, well, so at Audrey's, we're pretty much at the end of the peninsula. We're in Sorrento, so there's only really port cities straight after us. But um, we're, we're focusing on seafood, um, essentially. So we're a seafood coastal restaurant in Sorrento. We're based at the in the middle level of the continental Sorrento, the re- uh, recently refurbished one. So we're re- only about a year old and after a four-year build, <clears throat> it was a, you know, we decided to really go for it and display what the peninsula has to offer when it comes to seafood. So using, you know, local divers in the area, little little farms, sounds very cliche, but um, we're really focusing on that local um, sort of, uh, what's the word? Sorry, uh, supplier and producers, um, and but that doesn't mean we disregard the rest of the country when it comes to seafood. You know, I'm not um, I'm not stupid enough to not use Tasmanian sea urchins, or you know the North Queensland coral trouts and bluefin yellowfin tunas. You know, like it's you really got to um, you know play for your guns. There is an extraordinary, as you say, seafood across the country. But what's what's really sort of stands out in that region for you? Is there's there one or two sort of species that you love to use in the restaurant that are from the region? Um, yeah, so we use a whole lot of squid. Our signature dish is a little squid noodle number. So we um, we use a lot of uh, squid out of Corner Inlet, King George Whiting, um, a lot of rock flatheads as well, and. Uh, just recently, I stopped using um, the lakes entrance um, John Dorries. They've been looking absolutely beautiful. Some of the biggest John Dorries I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, we're working quite closely with um, our our suppliers just to get as as close to home as possible. You know, it's just um, you know when you have such fish like that. It's just it's just amazing, honestly. What's what's the approach with the with the menu? Um, you know, it's obviously seafood focused, but what's what's the inspiration and um, what are you doing there? Um, so pretty much the brief is as uh, tasty as we can without sort of jeopardizing the product. So you know, if that means we're just baking a piece of King George Whiting, that that means we're just going to bake a big piece of King George Whiting with an iceberg blanc. You know, it's I'm not trying I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to give Sorrento and the Mojave Peninsula that little bit of um, 
luxurious uh, when it comes to premium products, you know, caviar, Beblanc, sea urchin. Um, I feel like that's what Sorrento was a bit missing. You know, there's plenty of pubs and those casual diners, but that little touch of class was a bit absent in the um, <clears throat> on the coast here. So, um, like, we don't have, really have a the uh, the the winery attached like most restaurants do down here. You know, you'll be a point layer, your ten minutes tractors. We don't have that, so we really have to like rely on our skill set as chefs and as front of house, and, and as front of house uh, workers. So. We sort of just need to really, really do the simple things well, and that's what gets people coming back. Are there are there challenges in creating dishes that are so simple? Um, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. There is like honestly, there's a very fine line between keeping things simple and classy, um, and they're just being lazy. <laughs> so it's um. <coughs> um so some people really do appreciate the fact that we are just doing an oyster with caviar or doing a piece of fish with beurre blanc. Um, and it's our job to teach people, okay, this is how it's really supposed to taste or this is how it's supposed to, um, you know, look. And I, I, I find great pleasure in teaching people and stimulating people in that way. Um, although, yeah, you do have the, the the people come in every now and then who are just like, oh, is that just a piece of raw fish on my plate? I'm like, yep. That's the best raw fish on your plate, so you better enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I want to explore sort of what you're doing there because it's got such a, an amazing history as well, the building, um, a little bit later on. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play for you growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in quite a big Greek family. Um, oh, and my parents and my grandparents always had businesses in hospitality. Not as grand grand as restaurants, but, you know, milk bars, pizza shops, um, more, yeah, your suburban, you know, eateries. You know, so pretty much from the age of six or six or eight, I was I was working uh, in kitchens, washing dishes, just getting things, just, just being a little, you know, running around. <laughs> Dad's screaming at me. I'm like, oh, okay, just run around, get the ham, get the pineapple, <laughs> get this, you know. So um, I think that really taught me a lot of work ethic, you know. So it's working working for Dad at such a young age and Mum obviously being there, um, it was quite, um, yeah, quite intense, but I think it's really paved the way for me forward. Mm. You mentioned um, your Greek heritage. Is there any sort of feasts or dishes that you remember fondly um, that you can share with us from when you were growing up? Well, I think being Greek, um, it's always around, like, just, just actually went past Easter. So, we've got Easter and Christmas where, you know, the spit comes out. Um, we get the we get the lamb or the goat on the spit. It's turning, it's turning for hours and hours and hours, just waiting for it, waiting for it to be ready. You know, as kids... We just wash it for hours. And like, when's this going to be ready? It's like, <laughs> it's like when you're in the car, it's like, are you there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <clears throat> but um, yeah, it's just, it's just like rotating lamb on hot coals. And once it's ready, you know, all the all the old boys get around it. They're, they're carving it. They're, they're eating a little, bit, a little bit of the skin. They're, you know, they're, it's just like uh, it takes longer to actually carve it than to cook it. You know, all these boys are, you know, they just they're taking it all for themselves. Um, and then, you know, all the, uh, the mums and aunties are inside making all your salads, all your desserts, or like, you know, your baklava, your yellow de burico, your, you know, all your classic Greek numbers, spanakoidazor, the bites. It's just, 
you know, it's glorious, honestly. Like, I love Easter. I love Christmas, you know, for the culture, for the tradition, but mainly for the food. When did you first start to sort of think, you know, you wanted to be a chef, you know, for a career? I was I was very lucky, actually, because, like, I found out quite young that I wanted to be a chef. Like, working in kitchens, I always liked the chefs and the uh, passion that everyone displayed. So, I, I would have had to be 12, 13 years old when I was like, you know what, I want to do this, you know. And then by that time, sounds a bit cliche, but the first MasterChef series were coming out in Australia and um, it was like that time where, you know, I would sit down in front of the TV and like write notes or, you know, you get into get into the chefs that were opening restaurants in, you know, it was the Calambaris's, the Shane Delia's, um, you know, it was the Andrew McConnell's, the Scott Pickett's, like it was that that generation of chefs coming up, you know, they're like they're, they're obviously reaping all the rewards now. But like back then, they, they, they were fighting. <coughs> they were they were trying to impress. They were, and like that generation was just like it was amazing. It was amazing to be you know a fan of. Tell us about the sort of first steps into you know working in a commercial kitchen. When did where did you do your apprenticeship? And do you have any stories of what that was like? Yeah, so I left school when I was 16, 17, and I walked into um, Jacques Ramon Kitchen. It's not open anymore. But, um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I left school <laughs> uniform. Um, I had a little chat with uh, whoever was organizing the trials, and I walked into my school uniform. I was like, yeah, I'm here. And then uh, Jacques's there on the pass, uh, and all these chefs are running around, me, are running around me. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so out of my depth here. Like, what am I doing? But, yeah, I walked into Jacques, and then – I pretty much started on the Monday. So, yeah, left school and then, yeah, worked at Jacques and then um, was mainly put at his uh, bistro, because Bistro Jatan just opened as well. So, yeah, it was quite it was quite good because I had an opportunity to jump in t- between the restaurants and actually learn, you know, the serious fine dining side, three hat standard, and then you had the bistro as well. So, I feel like I did my apprenticeship at two restaurants, but in three years, you know, so it's... I was very, I was quite lucky, and you know, I, I I love the fact that I got to do both during my apprenticeship, and I feel like like a lot of people miss that nowadays. They either do one or the other, so I love the fact that you know I got the opportunity to do both restaurants and both styles um, because already I felt like I was so ahead of everyone else. Um, so yeah, so that was a very very intimidating time in my life. I was so young and couldn't even drive, honestly. So <laughs> I remember. It's a bit naughty, but like I, I, I remember just waking up late. I missed my trains. So I was living in the western, the western suburbs. Missed my train, so like I just took the L plates off my car and just drove to, <laughs> and drove to Paran. I'm like, I can't be late. I don't want to cop it. I just like so frightened and scared. Um, so yeah. Yeah, underage driving. I don't permit it, but I had to do it. <laughs> Jacques Ramon's influence is astounding on the culinary landscape in Australia. Do you have any stories of what it was like working with him? Well, the thing was, like, he was he was a you know so iconic, you know, and he everyone who spoke to him spoke to him with a, with respect, and it was just amazing to be a part of that. Um, you know, with him screaming in half English, half French, I was like, what am I even getting in trouble for? You know, I'm not, I'm not even aware what I'm in trouble for because, like, I don't understand what he's yelling at me about. But, uh, you know, the, the best thing about him was he was such a good person when it came to your personal life and actually cared about you. You weren't actually an actual number. 
you actually cared for the in your individual person, you know, asking about how my dad is, how my mum is, or, you know, just like actually caring about things and, you know, he was, like, which I was actually surprised about because I never thought that would be the case because, you know, I always heard, heard these stories that, you know, there'll be dictators and whatnot, but uh, it was kind of the opposite. And obviously when he was in the mood, it was a bit of a, you know, slap in the face, but uh, it was, he's uh, good. Like I, I worked for him for quite a while. Um, like going full, probably talk about that soon. But um, after my apprenticeship, I, I came back to him as well. So that, that only speaks volumes of the man. Hmm. Before you did sort of return there, you, you spent a lot of time in in the UK. Was it was it quite different for you over there? Take us to that time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, so once I finished my apprenticeship, my, the decision was made. I was like, I'm going to London because um, my the my head chef at the time, Steve Nelson, who now runs the Rec and uh, uh, and the Paris Valley and Emeralds, he um, he worked in Edinburgh and London, so he always told me like these are where the these are where the real cooks are. I'm like, okay, okay. So I, I've, I've always prided myself. I'm, I want to be one of those chefs that I'm a weapon in any kitchen. You know, I was always about being an asset. So I want to be an asset. I want to be an asset to any kitchen I walk into. So I went to went to London. What and then I pretty much organized my trials before I was even in the country. So I flew into London Boxing Day 2015 or 16, and then I had a trial on 27th pretty much. So I was there. <clears throat> yeah, I flew in to Heathrow, got to the hostel, and then the next morning I was I was uh, working, working in a Michelin star restaurant. I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm here now. <laughs> I'm here now. There's no, there's no going back. So I've, I've spent all my money getting here. So, you know. As you know, like apprentices, like we're, we're not we're not rolling in it. <laughs> like we're not chippies or plumbers. <laughs> we're struggling. So it was, um, yeah. I was in London in the middle in the late December, just after Christmas. It's one degree. It's one degree, and then yeah, I went to a restaurant called the Glass House and Q. Um, so that was run by the Shea Bruce um, group in 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 the UK, and yeah, I ended up working there for five months. Um, it, was, it was actually a nice step to get uh, to like getting myself into that London sort of uh, habit of things because it is a very different style of cooking down there. It's much more aggressive, uh, much more uh, you know every man for himself sort of thing. So yeah, it's just a, it's a very different way of cooking. Um, and yeah, and um, but really enjoyed my time there. Made some good friends. Like I've, I've just got chefs that work for me now that I met at the Glass House. So it's yeah. So it's a it's, so it's um it's a beautiful place to actually like start. Um, once I sort of got too comfortable there, like I've always had this fear of being stagnant. So I moved I moved straight there, and I just moved to another Michelin star restaurant called Poland Street Social, um, where I stayed there for quite some time. I was it was a very very different. Um, mindset in that kitchen we're doing 120 for lunch 120 for for dinner a la carte tasting menu vegetarian a la carte vegetarian tasting so it was like it's unheard of nowadays you won't see a lot of restaurants that do that but it was uh run by jason atherton who is pretty much a you know mogul now in um in in the uk and around the world got restaurants all over the world in greece and dubai everywhere there's one in sydney as well um but it's yeah, it was very very aggressive way of learning. I, I kind of learned how to cook, but I sort of learned how to not what uh, not uh, what I didn't want to be as well. 
you know, so I learned, okay, I'm not going to treat people like that. So I'm not going to, you know, you know, I'm not just going to do the things that make, make my staff lives harder essentially. So it's a, yeah, it's a very different way of cooking. But again, kids, kids like that definitely form, form you into this absolute animal of a cook. And it's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good to see people with skill, skill like that, that sort of skill level, um, you know, but uh, it takes it, it takes a lot <laughs> away from the actual person itself. But uh, for, for decades now, the UK has kind of seen been seen as a rite of passage for young chefs to then come back to Australia after earning their stripes. But how do you feel about that these days, given the evolution within Australia and and the UK? Um, I still think it's a beautiful way to uh, to learn about the world, you know, because like, I have friends there now, and it's changed a lot. You know, they're doing the three and a half day weeks, they're four day weeks. There's no more five doubles in a row. You know, it's, it's moving forward, you know. But I really feel like the people in London, they the the, stand, the standards of fine dining are much higher. You know, so it's important for people to see that. It's important for people to see different food, different ingredients. Like, yeah, just the actual ingredients themselves, like, if, you, if, you, if you've cooked all your life in Australia and you've only used Australian scallops, for, for example, like you'd think they wouldn't be any bigger than a 20-cent coin. But you go, to, you go to London and you get uh, Cornish scallops or something like that, they're, they're, they're almost like they're, they're a tennis ball. <laughs> they're massive. They're massive, you know, like things like halibuts and monkfish. And you, you can get these things in Australia, but like you can't get them from down the road, you know, so – and it just teaches you such, um, uh, just it, 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 it's experience that you can't buy. You just can't, you just cannot buy. The fish delivery comes at night, not in the mornings. Um, you just learn how to, you know, navigate service better because it's more aggressive, faster, more technical. Because Australia is going through this, this, uh, um, their fine dining is much simple. It's pulled back. It's much lighter sources, you know, less components. We're over there. It's component heavy. The sources are thicker. Uh, actually, in Europe, they enjoy chewing more. So, you know, you find less premium cuts on menus, you know, where, you know, in, in Australia, I find that, like, people don't really like the – it sounds true, but, like, chewing, you know, that, that understand the aspect of, like, okay, an octopus is actually – supposed to be a little bit chewy you know or you know it's just like a lamb rump isn't supposed to be as tender as a fillet you know so um yeah i think uh, the uk sort of understand that and they're sort of yeah it's a very different way different customer how did it feel when you returned to australia what was it like for you oh yeah it was um i i it took a while to sort of like sort of get back into the, the slow way of life but yeah i think everyone sort of told me i just looked like a ghost essentially so it was um um, but honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take. It, I wouldn't take it back for anything. Uh, but yeah, just going back into the sort of rhythm of things, Australian cooking, and you just take what. Like I've I've learned in this industry, you take what you can, and you leave what you don't really need. You know, so I took I took what I what I needed to take uh, from cooking overseas, and now it's you know I'm I'm at a good level where I understand the importance of cooking great. But obviously, treating people with respect and you know managing people is a, a big part of the job nowadays. What did you do when you returned? Um, when I returned, um, I went back to the Ramones to just help out, get, get some money in the bank, and you know, just to, you know, 
just get back into the rhythm of things and I didn't want to lock myself into a, a job straight away. Um, but then, yeah, my, the Stephen Nelson, who I just spoke about, he um, opened up the recreation in Fitzroy North. So a bistro bottle shop uh, with a wood fire grill, you know, one of those Argentinian grills that go up and down. And, um, yeah, we opened that in the early December, I think, of, the, of that year. And, yeah, was there for about 18 months. I've always, yeah, it was a very small kitchen. There was only the three of us in the kitchen. And by the time, that time next year, we got our first hat. So it was very, very exciting. It was, uh, it was a great place to work. And that was my first sous chef job as well. So I went from, so I was 20, <clears throat> I think I was, I think I was 20, I just turned 22. So um, it was, it was great to be a leader um, instead of a minion, which was great. So, um, <laughs> but again, it was a very small kitchen, um, but we, we, we worked hard and like we, we, yeah, we were very close and like we all just worked for, um, just wanted the same goal and it was just a great place to be. And to be fair, the fun house was great, great as well. We had Mark and Joe there who were great mentors even to this day. Uh- you, you moved to the Mornington Peninsula um, a few years ago originally. Tell us about why and how that happened. Yeah, so after my time at the REC, um, I was just looking for a change. You know, I'd been in cities. I've been in London. I've been in Melbourne. I've just been in these very heavy populated areas for so long that I just wanted a, a, a regional change. And then I, I saw that um, 10 Minutes by Tractor, was looking for a CDP or junior sue, so I applied for that. But then, um, as soon as I applied, the fire happened down there that um, that closed them for two years, pretty much, um, which was very, very unfortunate. Um, so I didn't really hear anything uh, from them until about a month later, where they're like, "Okay, well, we're all at Petty Tractor, the their bistro that's literally down the road." Um, so I went there. And, you know, there was all this promise that we're going to be we're going to open in six months. But, you know, obviously we know that the world is what it is. So it took a bit longer than that. So that's where I met Adam Sanderson, uh, who was the head chef of 10 Minutes and Petty Tractor. And then we sort of just like went through the process of designing menus for the opening of 10 Minutes by Tractor and whilst running a bistro as well. So it was, it was quite hands-on. The workload was quite high, but... We had a really good young team there as well. It was great to just be in the in Red Hill, you know. We're, we're on the peninsula, you know. It's it's where I got to meet like actual supplies that I use today, you know. That, that early stage of um, you know, becoming a chef and <coughs> um, sorry for that. It's just um, being that that chef that can talk to the local producers or and the suppliers and just be confident with um, cooking in, um, in such a regional area. What impact did it have on your cooking and your food, sort of being in that regional area? I think what, what just with working with Adam was quite, it was quite bizarre because he, we, we were focusing on regional cooking, but with his resume, like we are cooking Scandinavian food, uh, English food. Yeah, we are just like, he really opened my eyes up to learning, uh, using vegetables, you know, so using vegetables on the peninsula is the best because we literally had a lumber farm around the corner. We had Mossy Willow back in the day. Like we're, we're, we're literally pulling the carrots to the ground. We're, we're, we're picking the herbs. We're picking the, 
baby mandarins, the sugar plums. We're going to we're going there and we're and we're getting them. You know, so it's really open my eyes to like forget about or not not sorry not forget about but push your you know your back straps and your sirloins to the side and maybe just work on this beautiful parsnip or work on this uh, you know this courgette or you know it's look, look at all these punnets of different flowers and herbs and red currants and it was just it was a uh, honestly you just want to take a picture before you do you just want to take, it just looks beautiful the colors. You also just want to sit there and just be in awe. It's just some beautiful ingredients. Mm. You, you forged an, uh, an amazing relationship with the Ramon family over the years and returned to the fold um, with Frederick. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when I was 24, uh, I got approached by them and, you know, every time, like, I, I've always been in contact with the Ramons because uh, I've just, you know, they, they've been really, really good to me, so... I just thought it was going to be an everyday conversation, but then they're like, okay, how do you feel about being a head chef at Federic? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I sort of just jumped to the chance, you know. I've always wanted to run my own kitchen, so I was quite young and, like, being 24 and being a head chef in Melbourne, like, you're, you're looking at, you know, people look at you like, you're like, you know, he's not ready, you know. So I really thought I was ready, um, cooking, uh, like, skill level-wise, you know. Like, my skills, like, I, I was very confident in my ability to cook for people, but what I didn't know was the actual like management of people and the actual running of a restaurant is very different to actually just cooking for it. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. We opened up 2019, I believe, um, and we had a great opening. We had we had a quality six months of cooking before obviously COVID happened. So I was we we're really in a, this big big sort of. Um, you know, business and we're, we're pumping. We have a lot of staff. We're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, we've got baristas. It, you know, it's it's just people. We've got a lot of people working for us and, like, it's going well. We're busy. And then, yeah, it just got nipped in the butt, essentially, when um, COVID happened. And it was really unfortunate. Um, but to the Ramon's credit, uh, everyone, every full-time, every full-time staff didn't, didn't lose a job. You know, we're all there. Um, we were doing Providor through lockdown, uh, through the Jatan restaurants. Um, but yeah, like we're quite lucky to actually be paid and, you know, keep, keep all our staff. So when we did reopen for those, those months inside, uh, COVID, those openings, we were staffed up, you know, we didn't have to, we weren't desperate for staff, you know, and then by the time COVID did open up finally, and then we had another <clears throat> few months of, of trade. Um, again, we were staffed up and we're quite, I was quite happy with the fact that we had our team and our core team always there. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, I've, I've left Frederick for the past, it's been three years almost, and every head chef that's worked there was in my team, essentially. So when I left, my sous chef, Mark, he took, he took the letter. Now that Mark's left, Kyle's taken the letter, which, is, which he, he was my CDP, and now he's the head chef there. So it's good to see that the team there have really like, you know, taken their opportunities and, you know, now, now, now they're all succeeding. The last couple of years have been quite tricky for everyone and particularly those in hospitality. Has it had an impact on you? Um, oh, yeah, I just thought, I think the biggest thing I took out of it was you just can't take it for granted what you have essentially. So um, if you have a, if you're in a beautiful restaurant, cook like it's, 
it's got to be your last week at the restaurant, you know. It's, you know, everything was sort of taken away from us, you know. And I, I, like, it was my first head chef job. I wanted to make a name for myself, and that was literally just taken away from me, you know. So I, I cook now like it's going to be my last week uh, cooking in a restaurant. Yeah, like, uh, and it's really paid dividends of late because I, I because like, I can see people are happier. I can see staff are happier, getting more recognised. You know, I guess I I, I get it that rec- being recognised isn't everything, but it's quite important in this industry if you want to make a name for yourself. Um, and yeah, just cook like cook like you never have. You've been uh, working with Scott Pickett for a few years now. Tell, tell us how that came about. Yeah, so the opportunity to work at the Conti, I, was, I, saw, I literally saw an ad on Instagram. The, yeah, they, they had a render of the Conti on the on the uh, on Instagram. I was like, you know what, that looks amazing. And it said Scott Picker driven, and he's always been quite an idol of mine from when I was a apprentice. As I said, like even before that, so I wanted to take that leap and you know get into a a big operation and I sort of wanted to go back into fine dining as well uh, because Federico was just a purely a la carte restaurant. So, um, yeah, I applied for the Conti, the Conti job and I pretty much got into contact with the executive chef at the time, which was Tony Panetta. He spoke, I think you spoke to him last week or, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, Got into contact with Tony, spoke to Tony, and then yeah, had a meeting with Scott, and pretty much got offered the job um, there and then, essentially. So it was a very quick process. I think by the time I applied and had received the job, was about forty-eight hours. <clears throat> yeah, so it was quick, and then pretty much uh, yeah, got in. So we'll, obviously, it wasn't open, so we'll base that Estelle um, for the most for the most part of it because there was those major delays in the build. So I pretty much started running Estelle for a few months from pretty much when we opened in lockdown November till the February I was at Estelle and we did the big uh, probably one of the biggest summers of my life there and because I was just out of COVID essentially um, and yeah it was great being there with Scott because I understood what he wanted out of a restaurant you know obviously it wasn't the restaurant that I wanted to be cooking in but uh, I was there to learn and to um, understand what he wanted out of a business <clears throat> Scott's um, a friend of the show. We've had him on a few times and he's quite a um, charismatic personality. What's, what's he like to work with? Yeah, like I, I find him quite easy to work with, to be honest. He's a great mentor, very firm but very fair, uh, as we say, and um, you know, just knows how to operate a business. And to be fair, like I just soak up as much as I can, to be honest. You know, Obviously, it's frustrating sometimes as a young cook to – you know, just be told what to do, but like you know, you just take take it as it comes, and um, you know, he, you've got he's got into a position um, through some sort of hard work, so you have to respect that. And like, I, 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 my ego isn't that big, so I just don't listen to people anymore. You know, like if you if if, if you're if you're within this industry, I'll listen to you. And um, yeah, he's just a, he's a and you know what, just a great person to be honest. Um, it's just, it's just uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to work for him. Um, and he had given the opportunity to open up Audrey's, which we did this time last year. It was our, it was our first birthday a couple of weeks ago. So we'll, we'll um, yeah, Audrey's was just a, a big thing. And then it was done, the team has done so well. We've pretty much kept our 
like it's, we've pretty much kept 80% of our opening team for a whole year and that's been great. It's been great. You're one of the rare chefs that have won Victorian Young Chef of the Year with the Age Good Food Guide. What what did that feel like? Um, it was just a yeah, – I, I, I didn't know how to uh, react to it, honestly. Like going through the whole nomination process and – yeah, going, going there on the night. We, we, we received the hat first, which was great. And, like, everyone was up and about. And then I received the Young Chef of the Year Award and it's really kicked off. <laughs> like, it was like, uh, yeah, it was just amazing to have a whole team there. And, honestly, a lot of hard work and, you know, paid off. And, like, I'm grateful for everyone that works around me. And to be recognized within the actual industry, it's a dream come true, honestly. And... Again, it doesn't really make your life easier. It just makes your life – you just got to work harder, you know, and you need to keep that, keep that momentum going and, you know, there's only, the sky's the limit with, within Audrey's in that, in that room, you know. I'd love to keep going and, you know, allow everyone to grow together essentially. Your dedication to that sort of sophistication and simplicity at Audrey's is, is amazing. Do you have a dish or two that really exemplifies kind of your cooking and what you're doing there? Um, yeah, so Scott and I discuss, uh, were discussing a dish that um, even before we opened and pretty much has not left our menu since. It's a, the Moinza Peninsula squid noodles with the shiitake mushroom XO um, that we've yeah has not left a, has not left a menu in uh, a year. So we've done a lot of squid noodles. Um, and but the best thing about being a seafood restaurant is um, like I'm changing the menu weekly. Um, so it really depends on our fish. Uh, options at the time, you know, we do a uh, whip cod roe crumpet in, in our snacks with faux bacon seasoning. Um, we do a lot of barbecued scallops. Uh, the fish, um, we just finished doing uh, some coral trout from northern Queensland with, uh, you know, some beautiful, the last of the tomatoes and yellow zucchinis that are coming through. Um, we've our lakes entrance, John Dory, we used to like pan roast that to the crispy skin did a pine mushroom modern bay bug and chicken garnish with it um so yeah not really afraid to incorporate meat into the fold when it comes to our seafood cooking because uh you know obviously as, as meat as beautiful meat is like i think the bones and the sauces that meat uh give to the fish dishes are quite you know counterbalancing you know it, it, it helps it helps the coating of your mouth the fattiness you know because sometimes fish dishes can you can eat them then you sort of forget about them you know so keeping that flavor in inside the inside the guest's mouth um really helps them remember your food and you know gives a little bit of complexity to the dish as well well nick you're doing amazing things what, what do you love about what you do Oh, everything <laughs> i love i love being a chef I'm, I'm a for lifer in this industry and i I love way what cooking brings the people, the joy it brings the people. Like I've had, I've had fr- uh, friends of mine propose in my re- and propose in restaurants I've worked in, and just want to be a part of that. Yeah, like it's just it's beautiful to actually get everyone involved. Like it's one of the industries where my friends and family can be involved. I can feed my friends and family. I can travel wherever I want to, um, and I'll, I'll always have a job. You know, everyone needs chefs. Everyone needs to to be cooked for. Um, and yeah, because like you know, for example, if I was building, a, if I was building a house, not every day I'll build a house for my best friend, you know. But I can cook a meal for my best friend every day if you really wanted to. So it's it's one of the industries where it's just about togetherness and being hospitable 
and just uh, yeah, creating those memories, close call memories. Uh, that's why I love about this industry. Well, Nick, it's an absolute honour to catch up with you today and um, hear part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely, Huck. Thank you very much for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.